baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for a chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves as we do each and every week here on the show. I'll have Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and we got a lot to get to this week. Is There's a lot to cram into a 60-game season. we got the trade deadline ahead. we got a lot of storylines revolving around the club, some of its top prospects, and the fact that the Braves and their winning ways have them atop the National League East at the halfway point of the season something you might not have expected when you read about the laundry list of setbacks and injuries this club has dealt with. They have managed to navigate their way through to the halfway point, and they are six games over 500 as they get ready to jump into the weekend and start the second half of the season. So lots to discuss. We had Ian Anderson's big debut. We got a peek at Christian Pache. Also got Ronald Acuna Jr. back in the lineup. And, of course, the continued dominance of Max Fried. Those are some of the things that we're going to talk about on this episode of the show. As always, I invite you to subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and a review. And if you would share it with a friend, we appreciate that as well. Over on social media, you can find the show on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And Gabe Burns is at Gabe Burns AJC. You can find him there on Twitter as well. On Instagram, the show at From the Diamond with no underscore. And I am at Grant McCauley. I invite you to head on over to FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find every episode of the show and all of the articles, including one on Ian Anderson's big league debut. Had a chance to hear from him after the start. I also had a chance to talk to him way back before spring training about the changeup that has transformed him into the top pitching prospect in the Braves organization and helped him beat the New York Yankees in his debut as he outdueled Garrett Cole. So a pretty good start to Ian Anderson's career and a good read for you there at FromTheDiamond.com. So now it's time to talk about everything that's been going on with the Atlanta Braves over the last week. And to help me do that, I want to welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution into the show. Gabe, welcome back. It's been another eventful week for the Atlanta Braves. Thanks, Grant. Yeah, another big week and a big first half for them. Yeah, it certainly has been. And it's interesting to note that as we were kind of chatting before we got started here, it's hard to believe the first half of this season is done, of course, they're not really marking it officially as Major League Baseball when you've only got a 60-game season, but the Braves did reach game number 30. They're sitting at 18-12 and 12 on top of the National League East standings yet again. And Gabe, considering everything this club has gone through, I would say that's a pretty good spot to be in heading into what we'll call the second half of the season. You know, it feels borderline improbable <laughs> that this team is, you know, tied for the second-best record in the National League. I don't know if it says more about the National League or this team, <laughs> but seriously, to be 18 and 12 here, uh, to be through the toughest part of your schedule, because, you know, not just the 20 consecutive games, but the teams they were playing, you know, they had Tampa Bay and New York, mm-hmm. 
and obviously they've had plenty with the Phillies and Mets. I mean, there's been a lot. And the injuries, the rotation, uh, even going back to Freddie, you know, having four or five days to get ready for the season after having COVID to losing the catchers on opening day. I mean, I mean, this has only been 30 games. You think about it, it feels like it's been a lot longer as far as storylines go. So for them to have overcome all of this and to be sitting where they are and clear division favorites, I think we, we kind of say this every time I come on, but again, nobody in the East looks like they're anywhere close to threatening this team right now. Uh, and that's with all its flaws. Yeah. So it's really impressive for them to be where they are and everybody on the team, the coaching staff, but they do deserve credit for this. And certainly you can criticize them for, maybe how they've handled the rotation or, you know, the off season with Cole Hamels or whatever. I mean, we're not praising him for everything here, but this is a really good job. It's kind of one of those all things considered deals for the Braves. And you mentioned a few of the things that were going on with the pandemic that's been, you know, hanging around in our national conscious and the world scope really for the last, you know, six, seven solid months now. And yeah, Freddie Freeman had to deal with it. Both your catchers had a COVID scare at the start of the season Your best reliever, Will Smith, missed a significant amount of time, even though he was asymptomatic. That was another thing that was going on. Nick Markakis decided he wasn't going to play, then decided he was going to play, and then went through a COVID scare of his own. So a lot of different things have been going on, and that's on top of Mike Soroka's loss for the season. You've missed Ozzie Albies for a considerable amount of time now, and Ronald Acuna Jr. also spent some time on the injured list. So you start adding all those things up, you're not looking at a club that you're expecting to with basically one starting pitcher they projected to be in rotation to be sitting in first place and be well over 500 to do so. So pretty impressive work all around for the Atlanta Braves. But all of that aside, all of those stories that made up the first half, we closed it out on a pretty high note, and we did so with something new. And that's Ian Anderson, who made his big league debut against the Yankees. He outdueled Garrett Cole to win his first major league start. And Gabe, I know you were there to watch it firsthand. I'd say that was a pretty good way for the youngster to start his career what were your thoughts about his debut outing? You couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah. I mean, it was really just that one pitch to Voight. Everything else, I mean, he looked really good. And I can't remember. I'm trying to think that we've seen a lot of debuts over these last few years. There's been some strong ones. You know, you can think of the Soroka one was good. The Whistler one was good. I mean, I'm not going to compare, but this was certainly one of the best ones. Way up there. Yeah, yeah. The thing that stood out the most to anyone who's watched this team is the confidence he had and the way he attacked. Still a good lineup. Obviously, they're missing a lot of their best guys, but the way that he stood there and attacked is just not something we have seen from young guys, namely Tukey and Wright, who have obviously had a lot more opportunities in the bigs that Anderson has had, but... Uh, we'll see if he keeps it up, but the earliest returns were really, really positive there. And, you know, I don't think he's going to allow one run in six innings every single time he pitches. But if he can provide any level of stability, that's going to be huge for this team. Yeah, Brian Snitker indicated that he's hoping Anderson's going to be able to lock down one of those rotation spots. And I think that's a, a pretty you know, valid way to look at what he did early on. It took a while, though, for the Braves to finally break glass, if you will, and go with their top pitching prospect to try to solve this rotation problem at the big leagues. But you mentioned it. Anderson's probably not going to throw six innings of one-run ball every time. That, of course, is unrealistic, but he certainly seems up to the challenge of pitching at the big league level. Yeah, I mean, he was 
everyone kept talking about his confidence, just how calm he was with it. Seemed ready. But, he, you know, he's pitched, what was it, 377 minor league innings. Yep. He has had a lot of work compared to some of these guys. And, and it showed. I mean, he, he looked like a guy who knew what he was doing. Yeah, you can't be overstated enough how big that would be for them. And, look, you don't want to have to rely on a kid that's about to make his second start. But given where this team is, it's kind of a low bar to clear for him. So for him to just come up here and – be just a steady guy in the rotation it's going to be so big and it's it's going to be huge for his future too because if he's going to pitch well then you know you can go ahead and kind of pencil him in for next year as well and i think that's going to be one of the big goals is long term you'd like to see ian anderson become a fixture in the rotation i think that at some point he was knocking on the door in 2020 if he pitched well at triple a he was going to get the call i feel like and whether that was at the end of the year or if he was the first one up when they needed somebody to step in. But as you and I both know, and anybody listening to this podcast knows, it's not about first one up anymore. The Braves are about five deep and trying to find replacements to pitch after Max Fried in this rotation. And what Ian Anderson did certainly goes a long way towards maybe alleviating at least some of the need to go out and get some help. And we'll talk about the trade deadline in just a little while. But I want to talk about Max Fried for a moment because it wasn't just Anderson who looked great against the Yankees. Max Fried went out and did it again, and it's impressive to me to see the way that Max Fried did it this time around because he had to grind a little bit. Everything wasn't working for him. The location wasn't always there. Didn't seem like he could really count on every pitch in his arsenal to be there and be sharp, and I think that's a sign of a well-rounded pitcher and another indicator of what Max Fried has been able to do as he's developed and gotten better and better and better. It's not just as the overall talent and the stuff that he has, but learning how to be a complete pitcher, I think that was on display in Game 2 against the Yankees. No doubt. I mean, he has taken such a step forward. And, you know, it's easy to think about this team having two number ones next year. If Soroka, you know, when he fully recovers and he's back to his old self, it's been fun to watch. And, you know, so we talked to Soroka the other day, and he said that he always thought Freed had a lot more talent than how he was graded as a prospect Mm -hmm. and it's not like he was graded low as a prospect either and he was a first round pick too for him to be breaking out like this it's beyond impressive i wrote a story yesterday that really he's (laughs) he should be the cy young favorite i think you know you go through and you you look at these guys in the nl but freed is just so complete and i think that What he's shown, even on the days that he hasn't had his best stuff, has been so big. The way that he covers innings, uh, the big thing is just we're not seeing a lot of guys cover innings on this team, and he does it every single fifth day. And all his teammates can't overstate how important that is. Freddie Freeman called him the team MVP of the first half the other night. Uh, And and that's well-deserved. So, you know... There's a handful of starts left before any awards are going to be given out or anything, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter if if he wins the Cy Young or not. Sure. Just for him to have stepped up like this and become such a steady, steady pitcher for them in a time of need, and really just for this team's long-term outlook, for them to have a guy like that, you, you know, you need these kind of guys in the postseason. So this team is going to look a lot different 
when you enter October with Soroka and Freed at the top of your rotation. If that's next year, whenever. But it's going to be exciting to see. Yeah, even this year, if you look at the Braves being able to finish up, they win the National League East, get back into the postseason, Max Freed's going to be counted upon. He is the Braves' number one starter now. At first, you might have said, well, he's the de facto number one because you expected a lot out of Mike Soroka after finishing runner-up for the Rookie of the Year award last year. And, of course, everything Soroka has shown and. He got a postseason start last year, did Mike Soroka, but Max Fried was put into the bullpen where his stuff did play up considerably, and you could make an argument that, yeah, you could have given Freed a postseason start. I could see doing that, and maybe he would have gotten one if October had gone further for the Braves or the Braves had gone further in October, but there's really no question about it this year. If Max Fried is doing his thing, he's going to be the guy, I think, in Game 1 for any playoff series the Braves are going to get into, at least as everything's currently constructed, barring some kind of blockbuster trade, which, you know, I'm not sure I'm sitting here expecting that. But to get back more to the point, as you mentioned, Max Reed has really established himself and become a dependable pitcher every fifth day, which the Braves sorely need, and done so in a standout manner in which his teammates are noticing what he's doing, his manager's noticing what he's doing, and I think the rest of the National League is taking notice as well. Another guy we take notice of every time he's in the lineup, of course, is Ronald Acuna Jr., who hit a monster home run off Garrett Cole in game one of that doubleheader. And Gabe, I don't think we can overstate just how important it is to have Ronald back at the top of the Braves batting order, especially when they're a little bit thin in the pitching department. You know, it's so Acuna to come back and hit a 473-foot homer off 100%. Garrett Cole in your first at-bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very him. That was a shot. Like, no, when, yeah. when that thing hit, I mean, I thought in the moment, I don't remember seeing a home run hit longer than this here, and it was the longest by a Braves. That one that Stanton hit to center actually only went four feet farther. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, obviously huge to have him back. You know, a guy who many thought would be the NL MVP or, you know, ha- at least have that type of impact, and he will have that type of impact once he gets going. We yeah. saw it in that doubleheader against the Phillies. We saw it just giving Ian Anderson a little room to breathe. You know, I mean, I think that's a big deal for a kid making his first start to just already have a lead early in the game. Right. So for Acuna to be back, you know, hopefully Ozzy comes back sometime in the near future, and this team starts rounding into form because, you know, we continue to talk about, oh, well, this team's not at its best yet. This team's not at its best yet. They're down this guy. They're down this guy. Well, there's 30 games left for them to really hit their stride. And you would assume Ozzy's not going to hit his stride the day he gets back. So maybe they can start rounding into their best form right down the stretch before the playoffs start. Yeah, it would be a great time for it. And not only was Ronald Acuna Jr. back, but also Nick Markakis returned after his COVID scare. He did test negative multiple times. Braves took a little bit of time with him. And I'm sure Atlanta's happy to have him back, but we were talking a week ago, while Atlanta is certainly happy to get Nick Markakis back in the fold, it also meant the end of Christian Pache's short-lived first taste of the big leagues. I know I hate to see the kid come up and go back down, but it seems like this was a promotion that was more out of necessity than really deeming Pache ready to have an everyday job, at least not yet. That's well said. That's the bottom line. It was more out of necessity than anything. He was on the 40-man. It was an easy move to do. I mean, regardless of if you agree with it, I can at least see where they're coming from. Yeah, It's certainly not the last we'll see of him this season, I don't think. I think he was up for three played games. He, he played in two of them, and he got one start and left. He went one for four. So 
we didn't get to see that much, but, man, that throw that he made from left field, the throw that almost ended the game, that was really impressive. Just that moment alone kind of shows you how, how big time this kid can be defensively. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone was really excited to see him. I mean, I, I was eager to see more of him, and, you know, they, they kind of took that away there. But certainly uh, he'll be back up um, at some point, and maybe he'll even have more time. I mean, it depends, like, we don't really know what what they're thinking as far as his offensive readiness, mm-hmm. uh, how they view him as a player who can contribute right now, and we only saw a tiny bit of the sample size there. So, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for them to just say, okay, let's run with it, especially with 30 games left in this season. But I do believe he will be back up. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, just kind of building off of that. Do you think it's fair to wonder if the Braves should be going with Pache over Ender Inciarte right now, though? I mean, Ender's struggles are well-documented, and I certainly think there's a case to be made, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I, I'm From my standpoint, I'm with you. I would have replaced Ender with Pache a while ago. And we talked about this, I believe, a couple podcasts ago, but around the start of this past homestand, I would have just gone ahead and plugged Pache in and just worked with him and see what happens. If he really struggles, maybe you reevaluate. But as far as just the energy that he can provide is going to be more than Ender. For today and tomorrow, it makes more sense to just go ahead and get a look at him. So my standpoint certainly would have been just go ahead and roll with it. And if it doesn't work out, maybe reevaluate if he's really struggling. But we didn't see enough of him to really get really get a feel for anything we saw him in left field you know he had one play that wasn't great and then he had that throw that everyone was like wow no doubt we all wanted to see more no doubt so yeah to answer the question i would have gone ahead and just rolled with him and see what would happen but i'm not ruling out that eventually being the case sure but with 30 games left now you're (laughs) in a real season this is it this is the stretch run this is it's tough to kind of figure out where the scenario comes in that they go ahead and call him up and rely on him. I'm just not ready to rule that out. Yeah, no, I wouldn't rule it out either. And the way I look at this, kind of going back to you know talking about it being out of necessity, you've lost Ronald Acuna Jr., so you didn't have anybody else who could play center field, number one, if you needed a backup center fielder, not a, a true outfielder. And, of course, Christian Pache, that's kind of his specialty. Ender Enciarte hasn't really hit much this year, so he was getting – a lot of playing time in center field with Ronald on the shelf, but then you lose Marcakis, and it kind of changed the dynamics of what was happening on the corners as well. And, you know, now when you get Ronald back, you get Nick back, and then you look at, well, where does Christian Pache fit in if you're not ready to make a move on Enciarte in any way, shape, or form? And, you know, that could happen. There might be some kind of trade that involves moving some money around because that, to me, is one of the big hurdles of what do you do with Ender because you – owe him about $11 million for the rest of this year, for next year, for a $1 million buyout of a team option for 2022. And I know I've brought this up online a couple of times, and the response I get, especially from some of the more savvy fans, is, well, this is a sunk cost fallacy. Why would you play him when you could just cut him and the next guy you bring in could be better? And that is perfectly logical. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. However, Not every major league club or sports team necessarily looks at their contracts in that way, even if from the outside we do. I think that in a lot of ways, you're trying to hedge a lot of different things if you're Alex Anthopoulos with how you build out your roster. I mean, if I'm looking at it right now, I think Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to be the club center fielder for the foreseeable future, if not for the entirety 
of the 2020 season, and then you start reassessing it in the winter when maybe you feel like you have more flexibility and teams are looking at their roster a bit differently than they are right now. I mean, there's a lot of moving pizzas, I guess is what I'm saying, and it's nothing against Christian Pache, but you've got a lot of outfielders at the big league level who have been here for a while or established themselves, and it may just not have been quite the time for him to come up and be given an everyday job just yet. Yeah, and money is always a big storyline in baseball, payroll, that is. It's even bigger now. It's not so easy as to just eat in their salary and right. let them go right now. I mean, teams are just not, they're not inclined to do Nobody that. Nobody wants to do that. No, and, and especially now, given the financial uncertainty surrounding this, we don't know how the Braves are going to handle their payroll after the season. It's safe to assume the majority of teams are going to be trying to cut payroll and to just dump a guy and, you know, get nothing in return and just be paying him his money is just not <laughs> it's not good business. Again, and I understand the sunk cost thing, but at the same time, you know, look, they don't like watching Ender go out there and struggle any more than you do, I can sure. assure you. Uh, so if it was in a vacuum, would you rather just have Pache up and if he's hitting roughly the same as Ender, which would mean he is struggling – and he's playing the defense that we know he's capable of, would you be better off? Yeah. Now, are you worried about maybe messing with Pache's confidence? There are other things that go into that. But in the back, if you're, if you're just talking about making the team better or just dealing with the performance, you're, you're better off just doing that. But Ender is making this money, and, you know, contracts do come into play here. And if they can find somebody who will take that contract, I would assume at this point they would be eager to do it. Yes. But that's easier said than done, and the few teams who might be willing to take on money are probably going to be more inclined to do it for pitchers. So it's certainly not an easy scenario to navigate through, but it's, all, it's, it's, just, not, it's just not as simple as swapping one guy out for another, and I, I think you did a good job of explaining it. So they'll probably have Ender until the off season. That would be the uh, easy guess. And then – See what see what they can do from there because as they know, you know, I know, the listeners know that when Pache gets consistent playing time, I mean, it's going to be hard to hit worse than Ender has for the majority of the season for for him, yeah. even without him being a known you know offensive player. So, as far as this season goes, it's going to be interesting to see if Pache does get another opportunity and how that would come about. With Ender and Ciarte, we've seen this for a while now, where he's had these slow starts, where he's had these long lulls, if you want to call it that, and however you want to term it. I don't know if it's fair to really you know, judge the 2020 season, but this is not the first time that he's had some struggles at the plate for a prolonged period of time. And I've put up a list of just the average exit velocities for Braves hitters among the qualified hitters that they have in their lineup. And Enciarte was very, very much down at the bottom under 80 miles an hour for average exit velocity. So if the eye test told you, man, he's grounding out a lot, well, the exit velocity leaderboard for the team also would let you know he's hitting the ball on the ground an awful lot as well, and it's not finding holes either. So at some point, I guess they have to look at it and decide you know, where they want to go in the future. I just don't feel like their hand is being pushed right now because to kind of circle back to what I was talking about, if the Braves have a starting outfield that's essentially one of Marcelo Zuna Adam Duvall and Nick Markakis for the two corners, the other one DHing, and Ronald Acuna Jr. in center field. You know, at that point, you're really making the argument: who is our late inning defensive guy? Should it be Ender Enciarte 
or Christian Pache. And, and that I don't really feel like is an argument that's worth spending a whole lot of time on if you've already got one guy under contract. Now, if it comes to everyday playing time, I feel like that equation changes quite a bit to make a long story short. Yeah, I, I think you kind of laid it out well there. When you look at their outfield situation, you consider this season, okay, there's 30 games left. Mm-hmm. Then there's the playoffs. Uh, I mean, barring injury, you know, yeah, it really doesn't make, from their perspective, given what they have invested in Ender, it is tough to see how Pache really works his way back in and plays routinely. I mean, they're pretty happy with their outfielders in general when everyone's healthy. And then you've got Ender as kind of the late defensive replacement as far as the playoffs go. So, yeah, it is tough to see how Pache would factor in there again. It might take an injury or so, which certainly nobody wants to happen. They might have simply viewed the Pache thing as a simple opportunity to get him up here, give him some experience, you know, let him see what it's like. And obviously it was out of necessity. That was not the motivating factor. But they probably viewed it as a good chance for him to kind of get his first taste of the majors. And they certainly didn't feel pressed to play him when he was up here. I think that that was rather telling as well. That certainly backed their point of, of it being more out of necessity, the fact that he only made one start. So so it'll be interesting to see what they do here, you know, for the next 30 games or so. Yeah, I feel like we've talked a circle around that and, and, you know, no pun intended, covered all the bases when it came to it. But I did think it was worth discussing because over the last week, we really saw the excitement of a top prospect getting elevated to the big leagues and wanting to see him play as much as possible become, well, he's not really here for the everyday thing just yet, but check back and see you know things could change but yeah I, I think it did back up the point that they needed to make a 40-man move or a move with someone on the 40-man to help the active roster and as soon as you got Acuna Marquecas back that kind of uh, alleviated the need for another outfielder so uh, Christian Pache we hardly knew ye, but we hope to see you again very soon so uh, let's turn the page and look at Ozzie Albies who we're hoping to have back sooner than later you touched on him a little bit earlier he has been hitting He's also been able to swing the bat from both sides of the plate, which is very encouraging since that's something he could not do when he landed on the injured list with his right wrist ailment. Uh, when do you think we're going to see Ozzy again? We got Ronald back pretty quick, but for Albies, this thing's been lingering for a while. That's a good question. I mean, could we see him early next week? I genuinely, uh, I don't know. But it is crazy to think about. When this stuff first really popped up with him, he he wasn't even going to go on the injured list. Uh, that was when he was playing through it. Like, initially, the team hadn't even put him on the injured list. And then it, with Acuna, they also, you know, they didn't take him to Miami, but they said, you know, we don't think he's going to go on the injured list. And both of these guys wound up on the injured list. Acuna missed a little more time than they had hoped. I think just probably a series more than they had hoped. but. Right. With Ozzy, it's been a much longer absence, and he's missed a sizable chunk of this season now, uh, as crazy as that is. So they would like him back soon and like him back with enough time for him to really catch fire and, and round into form because he hasn't had that much of a season to this point. So it, it's been disappointing, but they want him to be at a, obviously at 100% and full go again. Without knowing, I mean, it's hard to kind of project when he's going to be back. You know, here's hoping it's within the next few days. For them. Brian Snickers talked about this quite a bit, and I know we've discussed it a little bit. We haven't really seen this lineup at full force since pretty much early on in the season, and even then, I mean, Nick Marcakis wasn't around at that point. So as you look at Nick coming back, getting Ronald back off the IL, hopefully getting Ozzie Albies back soon, 
Then you look at three guys who I think, and you could also throw in the tandem of Travis Darno and Tyler Flowers, who've more than held their own at the plate. They've been very good this year. But you look at the triple threat, I'll call it, of Dansby Swanson, who has been having a breakout year for the Braves, Freddie Freeman, who's been doing his MVP thing and getting hotter by the day, it seems like, and then Marcelo Zuna, who's done exactly what the Braves wanted him to when he came in to provide some protection for Freeman and a big bat in the middle of the order. Those three guys have really been you know, driving the bus, if you want to call it that, for the Braves' offense. They have, and this offense has managed to, you know, we keep talking, and you just referenced it again about how they haven't had their full lineup playing at its full capability. I think to have Freddie, you know, he's he's back. He looks like himself again. And Darno, what a great addition that's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozuna has done exactly what they've wanted in replacing Donaldson and, and just being that force in the middle of the order. And if you're looking for a first-half offensive MVP, I mean, what Dansby has done, the way that Max Freed has stepped up, I, I don't know if it's to that degree, but Dansby has really stepped up in the absence of some guys this season. And he's he hit leadoff when Acuna was sidelined, got off to a great start, hit a little bit of a slump, and came out of it. Yeah, uh, Dansby's been huge for this team, and we've talked about this on and off air, even before the season, obviously, that – this was a big year for him. It was a big year for him going back to February. It was going to be a big year for him, and it's a big year for him now. It's easy to forget. He just he hasn't had that full – the injuries have always kind of wrecked every one of his seasons pretty much. And, and to see him doing what he's doing now is really, really encouraging. I mean, he looks – you know, the way that – the way that he's looked at times this year when he's at his best, I mean, it's easy to remember how why this guy was a 1-1. So yeah. – Really, really encouraging development for them. And if, and if he's hitting well, I mean, we saw him in the playoffs last year's first playoff series. He certainly looked ready. In a series that very few hit, he did. And right. to have him, to have, assuming they have their guys back uh, come October and their lineup is a lot longer with Dansby in there, if Dansby's hitting like he has been, hitting like he did last October, uh, this lineup should be in pretty good shape. Yeah, and I know a lot of focus goes on Freddie Freeman, and rightfully so. He's been here the longest. He's got the you know the longest resume or the most padded resume, if you want to call it that, because he's done it year after year. He's doing it again this year. But to circle back to Swanson, I mean, we were sitting around the All-Star break last year thinking, this is Dansby Swanson's breakout year. This is what everybody's been waiting for. And at the end of the year, he had set across the board career highs in every category. But unfortunately... We fast-forwarded over the month he had to spend on the injured list with a bad heel, and that really took a bite out of his offensive production in the second half. But as you mentioned, he came up big in the postseason, and I was doing some looking through the Braves' numbers in the first half just to kind of check some trends. And runners in scoring position, we've seen it time and again. There's kind of nobody you want up there, maybe more than Dansby Swanson in those spots. He just seems to have a knack for the big moments. Batting 370 with runners in scoring position, leading the team in both batting average and runs knocked in in those positions. The home run he hit against the Phillies, his first walk-off, he just has a knack for finding himself in the moment where he can do the most damage and more times than not coming through for the Braves. So it's good to see that and throw that in with Freddie, throw it in with Marcelo Zuna. Some good offensive things have been happening for the Braves who, if you're curious, averaged, I believe, 5.2 runs per game last year with the Josh Donaldson model lineup. With the Marcelo Zuna model lineup, they're averaging 5.1 runs per game this year. 
So not much of a drop-off, to your point, Gabe. It looks like Marcelo Zuna has plugged right in, and the Braves are still looking to get some pieces back, so there could be some room for improvement. It'll be interesting to see that. And speaking of improvements, the trade deadline's right around the corner. Last week we talked about it, so we'll bring it up again. We did see one starting pitcher move on the market, Taiwan Walker, going from the Mariners to the Blue Jays. So let's get back to our deal prediction machine. And the over-under that we set was one and a half trades made by Alex Anthopoulos to improve the rotation. So I'll ask you, are you over or under this week? We were both over last week. Yeah, I think I'm still sitting over. The Walker deal, I think it was a player to be named later, and I think somebody reported it's going to be a top 30 prospect, so that might have just set the market for a rental starter. Uh, I'm sure it's the lower end of the top 30, but yeah, I still think over on one and a half as far as this goes. Now that now that I'm seeing how this deadline is unfolding, and there are some deals getting done, I still don't think there's going to be a Clevenger deal or any, anything you know huge like that, but the Braves, again, you're tied for the second-best record in the National League here, okay? I mean, obviously, there's a clear-cut number one in the National League. Well, what can you do to close the gap on them? And even acquiring guys who can just cover innings and just be decent. And, uh, it, again, a low bar here. Uh, just throw some strikes, get through innings. And I know that uh, I was talking to Bo the other day, and I think he did write this about, you know, bringing Gosman back, would that be – I think that was his bold prediction he wrote for MLB. Bold prediction, I mean, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't know that, I don't know that I would go down that road, yeah. but I, I, you can't rule anything out. And I was on MLB Network Radio the other day, and they were asking me about Cueto. And, again, like we covered him – we covered him last week. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I, I just don't know how, how something like that gets done. So it, it might not be one of those guys, but certainly I think that there's enough reason to believe they go out and they add a couple guys. This team has been one of the more active franchises, really, since camp reopened. When you consider the guys like Robbie Erlin and Matt Adams and just some of these moves that they've been making for guys dating back to really early July. So we know Alex Anthopoulos at this point. He's going for it. The Soroka injury is not, you know, they're still they're still pushing all the way in. And, and, and really, you know what, I understand nobody has World Series expectations at this point, and that's more than fair. But there's something to be said if this team got to the NLCS without its best pitcher. Yeah. I think that from a development standpoint, just from a success standpoint, and just building equity, like everyone loves, like the Padres are America's team right now. But mm-hmm. people, you know, they do have to, and not this early, but in the coming years, they are going to have to win some series, and they're going to have to kind of show it, or else they just become a punchline like the Braves have been with losing in the first round all the time. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> at least it's not like the NBA where everything's judged on rings. But at some point, you do. I mean, winning a playoff series would go a long way to just get that monkey off your back, and really putting last year behind you that disaster. So there's a lot to be set for this team trying to make a run to the NLCS and if they wound up swept in it or whatever, just for them to even be in the conversation and in the thick of it. And again, to repeat myself for the 100th time on this podcast, you have the second best record in the National League. You should win a playoff series. Mm-hmm. You should be thinking, how can we win the pennant? And all of that is in play. So for the really long answer here, 
where I got off on a couple tangents, I will take the over on one and a half trades. Well, there you go. And I love long answers. I feel like that's the best. And since we're on a podcast, we're not under the gun for the clock and to get to break or anything like that. So I think those are all great points. And I looking out at the starting pitching market, if you will, I, I still am not sure that we know exactly who it'll be in terms of if there is going to be a big deal. Like, I don't expect the Rangers to trade Lance Lynn. Could they trade Mike Miner? Yes, but they did hold on to him last year, as you mentioned last week on the show. And I don't know that that's really the answer right now. He's not having the kind of season I think that you'd you know want to have if you're bringing somebody in to be the solution to a problem, even a problem that's been as as rampant in the Braves rotation as it has been. I think you want to go out and try to get guys who, at the very least, just provide some stability behind Max Reed, and hopefully Ian Anderson steps up and is able to contribute there as well but you still are short on answers overall. So maybe you start looking at clubs that have some arms that might be of use to you, whether that's looking at some of the Orioles starters. I know the Orioles have had some moments this year. They haven't been, you know, the absolute, you know, bottom feeders that they were last year, which not knocking it, that's just where their organization was. So they've exceeded expectations this year, but you're certainly not going to be plucking arms off the Marlins who have had a surprisingly good year. Maybe you look at the Tigers. They've got a couple of interesting arms, but Matthew Boyd has been awful this year, so I don't know that you're going to want to pay a premium for that. And just trying to size up some of the others, yeah, you look at San Francisco, that makes sense as well. They could move someone, and I don't know that the Braves or any club's going to want to you know, lavish $27 million on Johnny Cueto, so the Giants will have to write a check that goes with him, if not take on a bad contract as well. And then again, you got Cueto sitting with an ERA approaching six as we sit here recording this podcast, so I don't know that that's the answer either. But for my long answer and my couple of tangents, I'm still going to take the over on the one and a half. I'm just not sure who it's going to be just yet, but I know that Alex has some trade history with the Orioles. We've seen that happen before, so maybe that'll be a trading partner that makes some sense. And they've got a couple of arms that could go a long way for the Braves, at least to stabilize the rotation, If you can get through five or six, this Atlanta bullpen is still an incredible weapon. They just haven't been able to utilize that weapon the way that they were hoping to if they were getting consistent starts from this rotation. I think you still got to go get two starters. As I sit here right now, going into the trade deadline in the next few days, I really don't see any way around not bringing in at least two arms to plug into this rotation. Yeah, if you go freed a couple veterans and Anderson, the rotation looks a lot different. Now, who are those veterans? That yeah. matters quite a bit. The Orioles are kind of, they're a franchise that, you know, they have had some, some good breaks this season. Uh, they went on a little skid that kind of has knocked them into, you know, out of the playoff. End. But that, look, that front office is from Houston. They know what they're doing as far as a long, dedicated rebuild goes. So they're going to be willing to move guys. I, I think when you look at Matt Boyd, He's a really interesting case. The best argument for him is people say get him out of Detroit because last year gave up a lot of home runs, had an ERA over like six, I think, uh, in the second half or the last handful of his starts, strikes out a ton of guys. He's obviously really talented. This year has been bad. He has been bad. So he has not even captured anywhere close to the success he had in the first half last season. So Detroit was asking for a ton. I mean, I think they might have even asked for Glaber Torres from the Yankees for him. And again, they botched the Fulmer thing. So I don't totally know what the price on him is going to be. But I, I would. we did see the Braves make a deal with Detroit last year for Shane Green. That's true. 
but this is a different animal. I, I don't know if they're going to be willing to sell low on him right now, considering how highly regarded he was. And I think they just had a couple of young pitchers uh, shut down with forearm strains. So I, I don't know if Matt Boyd's going to be on the table, and I don't even know how much he would help. It, it is tough. You know, the Rangers guys, I guess we're kind of repeating ourselves from last week, but Lynn is the obvious guy who makes the most sense. He's also going to be the most expensive but I'm very skeptical that they'll move him anyway. And like you said, Miner's not having the year that, that he would want to have. And you're really you're looking at a market where, unless the Indians want to be bold, the best starter acquirable might be Dylan Bundy, mm-hmm. which we've touched on before. And quite frankly, I don't want to be in a bidding war for Dylan Bundy, even with him trending in the right direction. But who knows? I mean, who knows what they're thinking out there? I'm just so curious about this deadline to see who's moved. Most of the time we have a, we have an idea of the, the U Darvishes available, the Shane Greens. Like we talk about these guys for weeks, mm-hmm. and we know who's getting moved or who should be moved and wasn't because they didn't get a deal they liked or whatever. This time it is that's not really the case here. No. I, I think we all knew that Walker was going to get moved. But there is not a U Darvish on this market. There's not a Manny Machado. There's really not even a Shane Green. Like the best reliever might be Trevor Rosenthal. So, yeah, this is the most fascinating deadline I can remember. Definitely short on blockbusters, yeah. but from just an unpredictability standpoint, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and to your point, if you look at it, the season's only a few weeks old. So this would be like having trade rumors begin on May 1st. I mean, it would be a little bit strange because, oh, we're yeah. a month into the season. Let's crank up the trade rumors. That doesn't really happen that way. You get to the end of May, get into June. June, you start hearing the trade rumors. And even then, you've got six weeks or so to really build up to the deadline and think about, all right, well, where are clubs now and what are they going to do? But expanded playoff field, I think the revenues are probably going to be a little bit of a red flag, at least for some clubs, maybe not altogether, but it is going to change the way clubs are thinking regardless. So there may not be a lot of obvious candidates out there. One other guy I did want to hit on that is in Detroit but is not named Matthew Boyd, and that would be Spencer Turnbull. He's a guy that's kind of turned a corner, no pun intended, this year and had some good starts and may not cost you having to sell the farm and part with your very top prospects, but could go a long way towards just adding a capable innings-covering starter or innings-eater, as they've been called in the past, though. It's kind of an odd phrase in today's baseball because eating innings now is throwing six. And it used to be you have a guy that you have as an innings eater that's your number four in your rotation might throw 220 innings. Well, that's not the case anymore. But uh, that aside and putting the time machine down, Spencer Turnbull could be a nice pickup for some club that's looking to add to its rotation. And maybe the Braves would be a club that would be interested in figuring out what exactly it would cost to bring him in. I think Trevor Williams of the Pirates, another name that's kind of been thrown around. But as you mentioned, these are not the big names across all of baseball. And Dylan Bundy is not a big name. He's having a good year, but, you know, he was a bigger name as a prospect than he's been at the big league level and came off a couple of really bad seasons in Baltimore. So what do you believe, the pitcher you've got this year right now or the track record that there might be some regression in his future? These are all questions that general managers, including Alex Antopoulos, will have to answer in the next few days as they place their bids and try to make their clubs better. It's not an easy position to be in. I mean, how much how much are you willing to give up for a guy like Bundy? Are you going to bet on him continuing to trend upwards? Do you think that him not working out originally was a Baltimore issue? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mickey Callaway, the former Mets manager, is in Anaheim now. 
and it seems like something has really clicked with him out there. Do you? But again, what are you willing to give up for this guy? He does have another year of control. Yeah. The Williams, the Turnbulls. I mean, these are. It's kind of funny because for years we talked about how this team needed a front line starter. It was you know they were talking about Chris Archer back when people thought he was a one or even a strong two for Tampa. Chris Sale. I mean, the, all all these aces and you know the. Braves were talking about it, and we're talking about how they need this true number one, and all these fans wanted a true number one. And now you're oddly at the point where you have a true number one, but you don't have the innings either, (laughs) which is really something that the Braves have had. I mean, they had Julio even during those rebuild years, and last year they had Keuchel, and everyone was really ready to kick Keuchel and Julio out the door here. And I get it. I'm not criticizing anyone for that because I was with them. But – it is funny how things work, that things have flipped now and that the team has one and even two when healthy frontline starters, but they don't have the inning feeders behind them, which is something that they've had for years. So go figure uh, that they need a guy like Julio now. I mean, they, they need that guy who can just go out there and pitch those six innings and give your bullpen a break. So, yeah. again, it's easier said than done to just go out and get a guy like this and rely on him and, but they'll be motivated to get something done, and they'll also be looking, you know, they're going to be more inclined to try to get somebody beyond a rental. So they're going to be thinking about next year too. Yeah, and that would be one of the interesting things about Turnbull, among others, that would make him a candidate to stick around for longer than just a one- or two-month rental if you want to count the playoffs as the other month. So a lot of questions, of course, to be answered, and we'll find out. As you said, deals are starting to come together. We've seen a couple thus far, but not really something that gives you the temperature of what exactly might happen in the 24 to 48 hours leading right up to the deadline. But we'll be there before we know it. We'll be there before we record our next podcast. So we'll be able to unpack all of this at the end and determine what exactly happened, who went where, and how much did they cost. And an interesting caveat, at least from everything that we were reading and everything that was presented before the season was, oh, the 60-man player pool is really important. You can only trade players that are in your 60-man player pool. And at some point, that, I guess, went out the window because you can still do player to be named later, which, uh, what was the whole point of throwing that out there if, if it really wasn't changing that much in regards of the possibility of trading someone who's not in your player pool? So that personal little grievance and, and gripe aside, I'm hoping that we do see some movement around the trade deadline so that we can see exactly what the Braves could add and, See exactly how far this club can go because they have aspirations to not just get to October, but to have success in October, as you've mentioned several times. Yeah, no, uh, they know that they need more than what they have right now to do that. That's the bottom line. Freed is great. It's good to have. Uh, they saw it last year, even having a guy like Keuchel. You know, he started two games. They didn't get what they wanted from him. They know how important pitching is. This team's been to the playoffs a couple times now, and they're fully aware that this trade deadline it very well could make or break them in October. Now, something else they asked on on uh, MLB radio was just that, you know, is this team motivated to do that, given where they are? I mean, do they, so we've covered that. So if that's what we believe, if we believe that they are motivated and they really they feel like they do have a chance to make it out of the NL, then certainly the over one and a half would be your best bet. Yeah, well, we'll find out not too long from now exactly you know where we fare on our over-under for trades and what exactly the Braves are able to pull off. And perhaps they do something completely off the board that 
We didn't talk about any of those names or any of the things that uh, Alex Antopoulos might come up with. He's shown us he can be pretty creative around the trade deadline. He's also shown us last year he had a specific need, and he went out there and addressed that specific need and made the Braves a better club at that time. And the Braves did sign Dallas Keuchel in the middle of the season last year. So stranger things have happened than adding a few pitchers in the middle of a season in which the Braves go on to get into October. And we'll see if they're able to find the missing pieces, perhaps, to finally win a few series and make some noise once they get there. Gabe, as always, I appreciate all your time. Enjoyed talking about all these things with you and look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, Grant, thanks for having me on. And uh, looking forward to next time we talk what the storylines will be then. It's, It's always something. Absolutely it is. Appreciate it, and have a great weekend. So my thanks, as always, to Gabe Burns for checking in to talk Atlanta Braves with us, and that brings us to the end of this episode of From the Diamond. As always, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. On Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore, I am at Grant McCauley. Gabe is at Gabe Burns AJC. On Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond. I am at Grant McCauley. And you can find every episode of the show and all the articles and other content at FromTheDiamond.com. That'll wrap us up for this week, but a whole lot to get to next time as we talk about the fallout from the MLB trade deadline. It'll be here before you know it, and we'll be back to talk all about it. For Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.